Welcome to Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. I am your host, Barb Jordan. Honestly, I did. I felt pretty safe, which I, which I think is what made it so like surprising. It's not just like the event happened, you survived it, and then you healed and now you're good. In my last episode, I spoke about violence against women and specifically referenced the Eliza Fletcher story, who was about a woman out jogging early in the morning and who was brutally murdered. In this episode, I speak to a young woman who was out jogging and survived the attack. But we talk about more than the attack. We talk about how this has had a ripple effect on her life and the steps she has taken and that she continues to take to overcome this sort of trauma. My guest today graduated summa cum laude from Hastings College in 2019 with a bachelor's degree in communication studies and minors in journalism and women and gender studies. She's committed to advocacy. She was a public speaker for almost a decade. And currently, she conducts presentations at high schools and colleges about mental health awareness. She graduated in 2022 from St. Mary's University of Minnesota with a master's degree in counseling and psychological services. She worked two and a half years at Hazleton Betty Ford Foundation with teens and young adults in residential treatment for addiction recovery. She currently works at an outpatient private practice in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and is in the process of getting trained in EMDR and working to specialize in the treatment of trauma and PTSD. I personally know my guest today, although I have never spoken to her about her traumatic event, and I've been friends with her parents for over 40 years. Carly, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. I'm excited and nervous, excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, well, not everybody wants to come on and share their trauma, which I totally respect because it's difficult to speak about for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you've been through something very traumatic and it had a major effect on your life. Did you ever think you'd come out on the other side of it? Honestly, there's a long period of time when I didn't, I didn't think so. Um, the darkness is going to last forever. I thought I was going to be plagued with symptoms forever. Um, so this is a, this is actually a really cool experience to be able to share this story and um, hopes that someone else that maybe is going through the same thing can hear it and know that there is, there is another, the other side and it does actually get better. Yes, yes, it does. And I think you're very courageous and strong for, for taking the time to do this. So I don't know much about what happened to you. I know very, very little. And I want you to kind of go back as, as best as you can to talk about where you were, what time of day it was, any details that you want to share. And, 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 and were you still in college or was this right after college? No, I was still in college. Um... Yeah, I was running, uh, which I did basically every day. Um, I love to run. I'm not good at it, but I like it. <laughs> um, it's a like wonderful stress relieving activity for me. Um, and so I would I would run all the time in college, different 
routes and stuff um, around my campus. Tried not to run the same route all the time because I know that that can be a safety thing. Um, so I was just kind of running around just outside of campus. I went to a itty bitty liberal arts college. I had 1200 kids in the middle of Nebraska. So perceivably like the safest place you could be. Um, and it was like, it wasn't dark quite yet. It was like getting there and maybe duskish time. Um, yeah. And I was just running, um, running along and it, this whole thing just kind of happened absolutely out of nowhere. Um, so you were familiar with the area. Was it a park? Was it a trail? It was like a sidewalk. I mean, I was running along just like there's a street on one side and then just like a park, a park. And then there's like a cemetery on the other side. And um, I was running along the sidewalk and then did I veered off the sidewalk onto like a a different path that was like lined by trees because I saw the trees and it kind of reminded me of home in Minnesota and I was like oh let's go explore the trees so you went from being in the open to being hidden by trees yeah yep um okay but for the most part you were aware like you understood that you were vulnerable because you were alone mm -hmm. and so you had awareness obviously you changed your routes on a regular basis which was smart and then you just made this one decision. Was there anything in that environment prior to you being attacked that gave you an eerie feeling? Yeah, that's a good question. And I was, I've been thinking about that. And, and honestly, like, not really, which I think is what made a lot of this so distressing. Um, if anything, I think the like, step off the sidewalk going from a place where I know other people could potentially see me to a place where like maybe they could but probably not um you know any I think as any woman running or being alone going from like a place more like in public to a little bit more secluded it can kind of it like gives you a little bit of tinglies but so if anything there was that kind of feeling um but that was really it. Otherwise I, I had like my music, I was, was listening to music cause I can't run without it. Um, but I always keep it pretty low so I can still hear. I mean, I, I thought I could still hear things around me. Um, and I just, I don't know. I felt, I genuinely felt safe and okay. I didn't, there's some, there's sometimes like as a runner where I'd be running and I'd be like, oh, let's avoid that, like that kind of alleyway or like mm, this, this like trail is giving me a little bit of skeeties, like let's go somewhere else. And like, I know that feeling that's like in the pit of your stomach that you just like that instinct that you just trust. Um, and there was maybe a little bit of it, but honestly, honestly, I did. I felt pretty safe, which I, which I think is what made it so like surprising. Mm. So you veered off from where you could be seen to possibly where no one can see you behind trees. How long were you on that? Yeah, I mean, I was running and then I just I, like veered off and then just was walking. Um, and then I 
maybe uh, two minutes, a minute, if that, um, and just paused and like was looking up at the trees and it was that quick uh, after I'd veered off that somebody came from behind me and um, the rest is, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, just happened. <laughs> That's so scary and I'm so sorry. So you never saw this coming. Yeah, I came from behind and then I froze, which I would want to normalize as a response, um, a really common trauma response. Um, cortisol can just like pump through your body and parts of your brain shut down. And um, yeah, my body just kind of froze. And there are moments in there where I like regained feeling in my body and tried to um tried to fight fight back or get away um then there was two ended up being two people um and it just there was no way uh that I was gonna get out of that um and yeah so I just was pretty pretty helpless yeah yeah I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and it sounds it sounds terrifying for sure yeah once it ended, did they run? Did they stand over you? What, what did they do? Yeah, they, um, they said some pretty, some pretty scary things, um, that made like that. I think for the purpose of them were to be scary for me and silencing, you know, um, I never saw them, their faces. I was not positioned in a way um, where I could see them at all. Um, so to this day, I still have no idea who they are, or what they, what they look like. Um, but they, uh, yeah, said those kind of silencing scary things and then ran away, I guess. Um, I just kind of, I don't know how long I, I laid there, but I think I, my body was trying to come back online. Um, Cause I, I was, I, what I had later learned, I think I was preparing to, to, to die. Honestly, I thought I was going to. Um, and so my body had started to shut down and, um, so I kind of laid there for, for a little bit and eventually regained like feeling in my body and strength to get up and, and run back to, to my dorm. So terrible. Did you pass anybody on the way? Anybody else that was on the trail? No, um, at that point it was like a a little bit later. Um, again, I don't know how long I was laying there for after, um, but it had gotten significantly darker. Um, and yeah, like I said, small, itty bitty town. So I didn't, I didn't see anyone, um, on the way back, um, or like at, at my dorm when I got back or anything. I didn't see anyone till I, till I got back to my room. Did you, did you ever report it to the police? Um, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't, I tried to, I tried to tell one person after it happened and it didn't long story short go very well. Uh, they were, they weren't very receptive, um, for a whole other reason. And, and I think I told myself after, after that, that I, um, 
I was just not going to tell anybody ever again. Um, so I tried to tell that person didn't go well. And then again, it's a, it's a actually a pretty common trauma response, um, for individuals that don't get a supportive, um, a supportive response to disclosure of trauma, um, for like your brain to kind of shut certain things down. So actually I tried to tell somebody that night, um, didn't go well. And then I just kind of stood in the shower. I just went to the shower and stood in the shower for probably hours until the girls in the morning came to, to take their showers. And then I, um, went back to my room and went to sleep for a little bit and then woke up and put on my clothes and went to class like nothing had happened. Um, and then, uh, for about a cup, two years ish, um, it was like nothing. I didn't really remember it. Um, and that's what I actually wrote my, my master's paper on is the controversy over this term called repressed memory. Um, now the more like palatable and clinical term is dissociative amnesia, but it's basically when something happens and then, um, your brain doesn't perceive that it's safe for you to know that that happened. Um, so memory function starts to shut down and that memory is inaccessible. Um, and that is what happened in my case. So I kind of operated, uh, more or less normally for like two years. Um, is that a safety mechanism that the body yeah. takes you through? Yeah. 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 So a lot of times, um, yeah, you'll see it in like, uh, children, uh, like survivors of childhood abuse, you'll see, um, right. Cause they can't necessarily sit with the fact that they're being abused. It's so, it's so distressing and so endangering, um, that they just kind of shut it down. So you'll, a lot of times hear, um, sometimes of, of trauma survivors recalling memories of childhood abuse that they didn't always remember. Um, and it's, it's a yeah, coping mechanism, a safety mechanism for the brain. Uh, certain things just, yeah, start to shut down and your brain functions in a way that's going to keep you alive and surviving. And at that point, for in my, my example, um, like my brain was focused on keeping me keeping me alive and keeping me going and keeping me safe. And it didn't have the time and the space, um, or the perceived ability to like sit in the fact that that like horrendous thing had happened. Um, and I didn't, it was so, so outside of the realm of like anything that I thought could ever happen to me. Um, that that, yeah, I think her brain was just so shocked. It was so shocked that it shoved it so far away, um, mm. into my brain. And, and I kind of dissociated from, from that memory, um, for, a, for a while I've since found like on my computer, um, some like journal entries and pictures, like it's writing about like I was in a lot of pain um or like I would have bruises and, and scratches and stuff that I was trying to figure out what what they were from um so I was just very confused and I hadn't 
a small inkling that something had happened, but I couldn't like put words to it. Wow. So even though you had bruises and scrapes from the assault, you absolutely could not remember. Your brain would not allow you to remember the event. No. Yeah. It shut shut that down. Shut that down pretty hard. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I never afforded it. And then, um, my, it came back to my senior year of undergrad, um, around like February. Um, I, I don't exactly know like what, what happened that made it come back. Um, there's, I mean, I have different theories. One thing is like, sometimes when sometimes when stuff starts to settle, uh, trauma symptoms can increase for people. Um, so if the brain perceives that like you're, you're doing okay, uh, then, then people can experience an increase in, in symptoms because the brain starts to like release those things. Um, so I was like reaching the end of my college experience, which is a really stressful time, but I was also like settling into, being on camp, you know, I was just feeling, I was a senior, you know, I was feeling okay. And then I drove past the spot where it had happened, which I did basically every day. Uh, and I slammed on the brakes of my car and I just had like, what was, I think my first panic attack, um, didn't know what it was at the time. I was like hyperventilating. I felt like my heart was going to explode. Um, and all of these just flashes of memories are coming back kind of like light bulb, like flash bulbs, just of images and memories and my body hurt. Like I could feel things in my body and it, it physically hurt. And, um, and I just kind of sat there with it for, for a while. And then, um, it was kind of then that I developed, um, PTSD, um, was later diagnosed with that. And that's kind of when my symptoms started. So I, I continued to get memories back. And um, it, it was interesting in that, like, these memories started coming back and it felt like it felt awful, but it also felt like, um, I don't know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're trying to find the word for something and you're like, oh, I know it's at the tip of my tongue. And then you finally find the word for it. And then it's like, oh my gosh, yes, there's the word it was kind of like that where these memories come back, came back and it was horrendous and awful. And it felt like the missing piece to some things that I, I had been wondering about the end of my, my senior year. That's kind of when my mental health started deteriorating. Um, I was having nightmares almost every night. I kind of stopped eating, um, obviously wasn't sleeping. Um, was scared to like leave the house, um, was, had so much anxiety. My chest was tight all the time. Um, and I still didn't really tell anybody, uh, because I felt weird about the fact that it had happened several years prior. And I was just now experiencing these things that didn't I had never heard of that happening to anybody. And so it felt, mm, well, I was like invalidating myself almost. Um, I've since learned that it's a very common and completely uh, 
like understandable response and it actually happens to a lot of people anyway but I didn't really tell anyone um until my symptoms got pretty bad and I told some really close friends of mine that lived back in Minnesota kind of what was going on I found out there of Histon Town that I absolutely loved so that was kind of like the end of my senior year I still I still like put on a the biggest face that I could on the outside and I'm not sure really many people even knew what was going on so I still like was getting straight A's and was competing um nationally in on the speech team and was doing like operating at this high level but then whenever I would go back home I mean I just was was so unwell I was so unwell um I started self-harming in that time. I would, I was cutting, um, never got to a point where it needed like any sort of medical attention, but it was a, it was a, a release and it was a way to kind of, I think, see on the outside what I was feeling on the inside. Um, and it, it just made some of the mental pain go away. Um, if I could feel physical pain and that somehow felt more manageable. Were you able to find a therapist after college? And found another therapist back in Minnesota who I still see today and she's the best. Um, But my my symptoms were so bad. I was still having really bad nightmares and... um, flashbacks and intrusive images and anxiety and crying spells and just all of these these symptoms um and I felt like trapped in my own body um and I I I was really depressed I felt shameful and guilty and disgusting and like I just shouldn't like exist. Um, Mm. and it got so bad and I didn't, I didn't at that point think that there was any possible way that I would be able to get better. Um, so then my like suicidal ideation started and I started planning, um, an attempt and, my therapist luckily caught me um, before I was able to totally follow through. How'd she catch you? Yeah, I um, apparently it was kind of obvious, I guess, but I <laughs> I thought I was being so sneaky. Um, I had gone, I went into session and she said I was, um, I went in and, and I said like, yeah, everything's good everything's good. And I, it was a total switch from previous sessions where I was just like, like just falling apart. Uh, I had got, I went in and was like, yeah, you know, everything is okay. I'm feeling good. Nothing really else to talk about. And she said, I, it looked like I was more at peace. Um, and I gave her a, a note, (laughs) like a letter that I was like, yeah, read this later, just like a thank you letter, you know? Um, and she was like, yeah, all the, all my little alarms were going off. Um, wow. 
yeah. So she suggested that I tell my parents, because at this point it was still just those, those three friends of mine that knew basically anything. Um, I didn't want to tell anybody in my family. I, I think I was ashamed, um, which was completely misplaced shame, but ashamed nonetheless. And I also just love my parents and my family so much that I didn't want to say anything or let them know anything that would like hurt them. And I knew that it would be painful for them. Uh, and I, and I think I was just trying to protect that, but I got to a point right where my, my parents had to know. And for context, for people that don't know, my parents are the best people ever. Um, so supportive and kind and, and generous. It's just depression and trauma. It lies to you and it tells you that you should, you should isolate yourself and, um, and so that's what it did. And anyway, my therapist like suggested that I tell them. And so we brought them into session. Did, did you tell them or did the therapist tell them? I did. She, she made me do it. I asked her to, I was like, will you tell them? <laughs> um, <laughs> but she was like, no, you need to do it. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't even really tell them much. I told them that I, I, something, I was on a run and something happened. I think that's all I said. Um, but they got the gist and it was, it was, it's still a memory that I have that just makes me emotional thinking about it. Um, I mean, cause it was devastating to them. Um, and like, I, they, I know that they can, I've since learned that it's, they can handle their own emotions and themselves and can cope and that I deserve support from my parents and they did give it to me and everything. Um, but it was devastating. Yeah. How did you act around them in the, in the two years or so leading up to that? And yeah. obviously, you know, when you saw other people, you were living a pretentious life, acting like you were okay. Yeah. Did they ever interpret anything was wrong with you during that time? I don't think so. Um, especially during, in the time that, in the time that uh, I didn't, I didn't even remember. Um, I don't think anybody really knew that anything was wrong. Uh, once my symptoms started, so like between February of my senior year and about August, uh, when I told them, I had come home at one point from school for like a long weekend because I was struggling so much. And I think I told them that I was like stressed with graduating and like, just like developed some sort of anxiety or something. I just made up some story uh so they so they asked but you you hit it oh yeah 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 and I don't I mean I don't know if they had an inkling that anything else was going on but I I don't know I, I think it was I think it was pretty uh I was I was pretty secretive I was pretty good at hiding hiding it until it got to the point where I couldn't hide it anymore 
Um, so when you told, when you told them at therapy, what was their reaction? Um, they just cried a lot. Uh, they cried. Um, I mean, I, as devastating as it was for me to experience it, I, I can't imagine being a parent and hearing that like one of the worst things that can happen is someone has happened to your child. Uh, and you know, it, I, I can just imagine how helpless that must feel. So they cried a lot. Um, I cried, cried together. Uh, I tried to like, be like, but really it's okay. And it's not that bad. Um, <laughs> And my therapist was like, Carly, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's okay. And so we cried together and then they, you know, just were like, whatever you need, uh, whatever you need, you let us know, like, we're here for you. Um, they're so supportive. And, and yeah, that's one of the things that I think about my recovery. I mean, I think I told them when I was ready to, and at the same time, I guess I would encourage anyone who is feeling ashamed or like they can't tell people or reach out for support. Like it's okay. You can. How healing was it for you to include them in what you were going through with your trauma? Yeah, it was, it was, it was really healing. It was nice to not have to hide or lie anymore. Um, and I mean, if I'm honest, I like, it, I, I still, I struggle in general to reach out for help, um, to really anyone. And so I, I still like, I had to navigate that. Like I didn't, it wasn't just, I told them and then suddenly I talked to them every day about, about what was going on. I still, it was a learning experience to, to like figure out how to be vulnerable and authentic with this thing that I felt it was still very overwhelming. Um, but even just them knowing and supporting and validating me, um, it was, it was, it was very healing. I would say for sure. Awesome. Awesome. It's so important. You now had your family support. What other steps did you take? Got into, uh, a partial hospitalization programs, like a day treatment kind of thing, um, at Rogers behavioral health out in Eden Prairie in Minnesota. Um, I went there for about three days and they upped me to a higher level of care. Um, I was still self-harming really badly at this point. I was like, I mean, I was like, writing like carving words into my arm that were just like so horrendous and because I just felt like like so disgusting um and I couldn't my I I, I couldn't sit with any part of the memory for very long without panic attack um I would like cower in the corner and would be like f- physically shaking um, and would have flashbacks that would take me out of like the present moment. Um, so they, in order to like make more progress suggested that I go to a residential treatment. Um, I was very against the idea at first. (laughs) I 
um, was like people with real trauma need to go there. People, you know, that are actually struggling, like not me who really nothing really happened. And, um, and you're not really cutting yourself and cutting words into your arm. Yeah. That's, you know, not me. I just, I just graduated at the top of my class and I'm a, you know, a national speech competitor and like, that's, I just so thought that 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 was not me. I was so, I was still just so disconnected from the reality of what was happening. Um, Did you fight the treatment when you were there? Obviously you didn't want to go into residential, but once you did, did you fight the treatment at all? No. Once I, once I went, I like told my parents, I was like, Hey, they suggested residential. And I was crying and crying and crying when I told them. And then my dads were like, okay, so go. And I was like, really? Wait, what? (laughs) They were just so matter of fact about it. They were like, yeah, that's what you need. Like, of course, just, just go. It'll be okay. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe it'll be okay. Um, (laughs) I, I also honestly watched, um, there's a, 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 an arc on Grey's Anatomy of this one character who goes to like inpatient treatment. And I like rewatched that. And I don't know why, but for some reason it made me, I was like, well, if joke is like this badass doctor and she, like went into residential treatment then like certainly I can do it um okay so I I eventually went and it was really really nerve-wracking I'd never done anything like that I mean until like February of my senior year of college I had never even been to therapy or anything so it was just very new and a kind of scary experience um to begin with but I dove in I mean absolutely dove in head first I Mm. once I got there like um I just I still have like just a huge like I have like five binders of the worksheets and journals and things that we had to do I'm such a nerd I just like wanted to learn everything that I could to help myself um so once I was there I just really committed to the process great Uh, the process itself was very, very hard. Um, we did what's called prolonged exposure therapy, um, which just involves like exposing yourself a little bit at a time to some things that you are avoiding um, because of your PTSD symptoms. And um, so that is just like a very exhausting therapy. Um, my symptoms got a lot worse when I was in there, which is also very common, uh, when you start working on stuff, generally gets worse before it gets better. Um, but at my lowest, I mean, I was having these, these very visceral flashbacks where I would lose complete presence of the room and the space I was in. Um, and it would, it felt, it felt as though I was back when the trauma was happening so I couldn't like see like what was what was the room I was in the like floor the carpeted floor would turn into like the grass and the leaves and I like would smell things and like I it felt like I was back there um and then I I had what's called a somatic flashback where like your body feels so 
the pain receptors and the the like feeling receptors in your body fire as though what had happened to you is happening again um and so from the outside people would say like they're like yeah when I would when I when we were like watching this happen um it it like watching it from the outside it just seemed as it looked as though we were watching it happen again to you um so of course that was just an exhausting exhausting experience um at my worst I was having maybe three of those a day I'm sorry did they dictate how many you needed a day or was it based on how you did during each session that dictated how many you would do a day yeah, no, I mean, those flashbacks happened, like, they did, obviously did not want me to have those um, flashbacks. Um, those would just happen, I don't know, if my system got overwhelmed. Um, in terms of the actual therapy that we did, um, we would do, like, I had one full session a week with my, like, therapist who my goodness, I've learned, I learned so much from her. I feel uh, so like my heart just goes out to her. She's incredible. But I had one full session with her a week where I would say my narrative, we would do what's called an imaginal exposure. And I would say my narrative um, in first person as though it was happening in real time. And then we would record it. And then I would listen to that every single day outside of that session. Um, and so the point is to like get you desensitized to the narrative. And so we do that once a week and then I would listen to it every day. We'd have groups like CBT and DBT groups. Um, there was art therapy and rec therapy and different like skill building stuff. Um, so eventually like my flashbacks would decrease I like learned what it felt like when one was starting to come on and would engage in skills to help like either stop or at least lessen those flashbacks um yeah my body symptoms were just probably one of the worst things which I also didn't know was a thing is that Uh, that because of is that because of the pain that you would feel yeah yes and it's just like I mean it's bizarre it's 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 we it's like I remember at one point like being towards closer towards the end so I would but I um was able to maintain presence but I would just look at my body and I I was like I can feel I can feel things that aren't like there I can feel like my tent my muscles tensing and like certain sensations and stuff and pain that I know is like a body memory um but but wasn't, wasn't actually happening. And it's just, it was a, it was a bizarre experience for me. Um, and it was just really hard and triggering, obviously, to like feel things and hear things and smell things and, um, and stuff. But eventually, um, I kept working the, the program and, the nurses and doctors and therapists and everybody working at Rogers, like were so patient and kind with me and, um, worked really hard to, to help me. And I eventually got to the point where I could tell my narrative a little bit more without like completely losing presence or panicking. Um, 
and it just became a lot more desensitized. Um, so I spent about three months there. Um, all of the holidays I was there for like Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and everything. Um, just a little bit hard to be away from. Was that good for you or was that hard? Yeah, it was hard. Um, I mean, of course it was, it was hard to be away from my family for the, for those big holidays. Like I wanted to be with them. Um, but I also didn't really want to not be there once I was there and engaging in the process. I was like, I feel safe here. Like I feel, (laughs) I feel like I can work on stuff here and I don't want to go home until I feel like I can have a better handle on this. Um, and it was such a supportive environment that I, I was homesick of course, but I also like didn't really want to be anywhere else while I was going through all of that and learning about my mind. For somebody that's going through something traumatic, how important is it to feel safe? Oh, very, very important. Um, very important. I mean, trauma, um, one of the like symptoms of trauma is, is hypervigilance. So right. Even though I was in a, even if I was in a perceivably safe situation, um, my amygdala, right. is going to be bigger because of what happened to me and my senses are going to be, um, exacerbated. So I, my, my hearing is like biologically, it's better than, than not like people who hadn't experienced trauma. My, my eyesight, I could see more, I could smell more like that hypervigilance with all of my senses was up. Um, so if I perceived anything in my environment that made me feel like I wasn't safe, then, then I would, I would feel unwell and anxious. Um, and so I think for, for trauma survivors, right. Having an environment where where even if there there is a little bit of that hypervigilance, like where they feel safe and okay, and those senses don't pick up anything that is distressing to them, like it can really calm down your nervous system. Um, because yeah, trauma survivors are going to be more susceptible to um, feeling unsafe and to things in your environment that that make you not feel that way. So. Um, yeah, so I was grateful that, that Rogers really, really created a safe healing environment for me. Okay. How was it when, when your parents would visit you? Do you, Mm. was it, how do you think it was? Obviously you were comfortable where you were, you needed to be where you were, you were really into where you were, Mm -hmm. but I also think it would be something difficult to share because it's just one of those things. Like nobody understands what you're going through. How was it when they would Mm. visit you? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really perfect way to put it. Um, it was obviously great. Like, oof, I remember the first time they came to visit and I just like sunk into like their hug. Um, and just that feeling, right. Like my parents are some of the people that I feel safest around. Right. Cause it's like my parents, uh, they protect me and, and love me. And, and so it was, very warm and wonderful when they would come to visit. Um, it, it was a little hard in that I was that I had these symptoms and these things that like, I knew that they didn't, they, they, they wanted to learn about, right. And they did learn about, and they, they were so into like 
psychoeducation and they were like, yes, tell me like, how can we help? What is a flashback? Like they were like, so into like <laughs> learning about all of it. Cause they just wanted so hard to support me. And I think goodness that they don't get it, but they also just like, don't, they, they didn't get it in terms of they weren't experiencing the same things that I, I was. And that was just a little, it was a little like tough and, and everything to no obvious fault of theirs. But um, I think, yeah, it was hard to like be in such a, a difficult spot with my mental health um, and trying to share that with them, uh, but them just like not quite right. Having the understanding of, of what was going on um, and they learned and, and everything and they tried, but yeah, it was just, it is different. But now that you are, have been studying trauma and learning to help others from your experience, really, once you've been through trauma, nobody doesn't matter how much they care and how much they want to help. Nobody can truly understand what somebody, what somebody has gone through. Do you agree to that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's is it Lady Gaga. I can't remember who sang it. There's someone sings a song and it, the, she says, till it happens to you, you don't know how it feels. And I think that was really poignant and true. Um, and that's one of my favorite things about, that was one of my favorite things about treatment is that, and I still have like friends that I met there that I, will call and talk to periodically is it because they they get it right and they know and so it'll be like oh my gosh I'm having like I had a flashback or had a panic attack or I'm having like self-harm urges or something right and and I I don't have to explain it they just are like oh my gosh yes I get it I get you I understand um so it's really nice to have that validating experience and even within that though like I was on a unit of 12 other other patients that had experienced trauma and still all of our individual experiences were very different. So I think it's important for, um, yeah, trauma survivors to be validated in their individual experiences because you just, you really don't know, uh, what people are going through and how it's impacting them. Does, Hearing about like Eliza Fletcher, who was killed Oof. recently in Memphis, she was out running. Is that a triggering event for you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. One, one could say it was, um, yeah, I've been doing like, I've been doing really well. So I, I went to Rogers that was in 2019 to 2020 rang in 2020, um, at Rogers and so I've been kind of like in PTSD recovery ever since and have been doing really, really, like I've been doing really well. My symptoms are way down. I, you know, everything and you can talk more about that, but I, I've been doing, I've been doing well. And then this news story came out and honestly, this last week, my symptoms have been higher than they've been in a long time, uh, mm-hmm. which was really disappointing. I, eh, I say that it was disappointing for me. My therapist was like, you don't need to be disappointed. Of course it was triggering. Like it was so spot on. 
to what you had experienced. Um, but it, but it sucked because my, my, I saw this in the news and then immediately my sense of safety was kind of, was threatened again. Um, so that, that feeling that I had back then of like, yeah, I feel safe. Like I'm going on a run, but like I've gone on a hundred runs and I feel okay. And then holy cow, this thing happened that completely threatened my safety and took it away. That feeling just kind of came, came back a little bit. Um, so I had a lot more anxiety this past week and I, my runs were a lot shorter. I, I, my therapist was like, you got to keep, you got to keep running though. Like you got to like practice that exposure and remind your body that you are okay. Um, but it was a lot harder and I had some more nightmares this week and like it, it was really tough. And, and so I think, but I, and I'm doing okay now and I have like coping skills and support people and everything to get through it. But I think that's another thing about trauma that I kind of wish people maybe understood a little bit more too, is that it's not just like the event happened, you survived it and then you healed and now you're good. It's like stuff like this, like you talk about in your podcast, right? It has a ripple effect. So like Eliza Fletcher, I didn't know her. I, and it happened in Memphis, but here I am this trauma survivor all the way in Minnesota that is like really, really impacted by this story. And it had real, real ramifications for me and my mental health. Um, so that ripple effect of like trauma and violence is just, it is, it is really, really huge. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's really terrible and it's unfortunate. And I always say, and I think I I may have put it in, you know, one of our, our texts to each other that, you know, this type of violence that happens to victims, it's, you know, we don't ask for it. We don't deserve it. We're just going about trying to live a good life. And we are left with this ripple effect and we fight and we do all these things to try to heal and to stay healed. And you are so fortunate that you have surrounded yourself with a team Mm -hmm. to that you can go to when you, when you do have a flashback, it's so important that you have that support. And I think that's a real big positive in your life. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the most incredible things about you is that now you are devoting your life (laughs) into helping others. Yeah. And you are, you are taking this experience. So we just have a few more minutes left, but within that time, tell us, tell us what you're doing now and tell us your plan to help, help others deal with this type of trauma if they ever are affected. I mean, now I am fortunate enough to work as a mental health therapist here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, it was during my stay at Rogers that I, I was like getting along really well with all the therapists and everybody. And I was like, maybe there's a reason why we get along so well. And I feel like we have similar characteristics and everything. And I've always been a very, um, like caring, compassionate individual. And I just love people really hard. And, um, so then this experience happened and I knew I wanted to do something with it. I didn't want this to happen to me and, and to just remain something that's happened to me. And then that's it. And then I keep going. I, I felt a calling to do something with it. 
Um, so I decided to go to grad school for counseling and um, I've never felt more like connected to a career path uh, in, in any of my like journeys into the workforce. Uh, I started working in mental health and I was like, this is where I need to be. Um, and yeah, so I, I worked at Hazelden with, um, kids in addiction recovery and hearing, hearing things that they have gone through. And obviously as a, as a clinician, I can't, um, I can't say like, oh yes, here's my trauma and here's how I connect with you. But there is this level of, of empathy that I'm able to provide, um, that I think is felt, uh, and it, 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 I hope it, it helps these other people that are walking through some really difficult moments. And it certainly goes both ways as well. Um, and I am getting trained in EMDR right now. So I'm hoping to specialize in, in trauma and the treatment of PTSD, uh, as someone who's just lived it and been through it, it feels very, very like a blessing that I'm able to help people like I was, was helped. Um, like I said, at the beginning, I, I, there was several moments when I didn't think that it would ever, ever get better. Um, and I want to be a force of good for others who are feeling the same way. Uh, I had several lights, uh, be it my friends, my therapist, my family, that were pulling me through that tunnel and got me out to the other side. And I, I feel just honored that I am able to help other people find the strength that they do have inside of them. Um, and I just, I get to witness the resilience of the human soul every day. And it's, there's just, there's no, there's no better, no better thing to do. Um, awesome. So, yeah. Awesome. Listen, I'm so proud of you. And I hope and, and very rarely as humans, especially as women, do we ever say the words, I'm proud of myself. Yeah. But I hope somewhere along the way you reflect on God, everything you've shared here and what you're doing now in your life and that you give yourself credit and yeah. that you do tell yourself every once in a while, I'm proud of you for making through this because you're you are you're incredible. You're remarkable. Yeah. Thank you. That's yep, for sure. For sure. Uh, is there anything else you want to share here? Hmm. I think, I think just know that if you're experiencing, if you've experienced trauma, if you're experiencing any sort of mental health concern, um, if you're experiencing any sort of distress, uh, like I said, it, it can feel like a very isolating experience. And I think it's important that people know that you're not alone. And even when things happen that you think could never happen to you, know that it doesn't change. It doesn't change who you are. Um, you get to be, you get to be exactly who you want to be. Um, and you get to like, take what has happened to you and and change it into something good um not even like finding a silver lining or whatever but like the things the bad things that have happened to you don't have to 
don't have to like plague you. Um, there is a light. It does get better. And, and you're just not, not alone at all. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, you are now a part of the ripple effect and I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your story. Um, again, I think you're so courageous. Thank you so much for being on this episode. Thank you very much for, for asking me and, and yeah, giving me this, this platform to, to hopefully reach others. I'll never understand the men that inflict violence and harm against women. But I want you to remember this story because Carly is an excellent example that although dealing with trauma can be difficult and painful, and you'll experience so many different emotions that we can overcome it because as women, we are resilient, strong, tough. We are warriors. And it is so important to bring that support into our inner circles, whether it's with your friends, families, or therapists. If you do the work and bring this support into your life, you too can make it through trauma. In my next episode, I talk about the Lauren McCluskey story and how a predator charmed his way into her life and the violence that followed after. I'm your host, Barb Jordan. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect.